Shalom. I am Leontin. And I'm Alan. Bruchim Habaim. Welcome to our podcast, Yala Israel. We invite you to discover the life and history of Israel, past, present, and future. Yala is a very popular slang expression in Israel, originating from Arabic, meaning, come on, let's go. So, Yala. Hello, Leontine. Shalom, Ellen. Shalom. How are you? Shalom. Shavua Tov. I'm great. Good week to you. You know, walking over here today, I walk par- uh, past the park on my street, Hatsvira Street, and I saw Ayelet Orpaz. Remember Ayelet? Of course. Ayelet was our Christianity teacher in the tour guide course. She was incredible. Uh, anyway, she sends her regards. She was sitting there with her two, her two kids. She didn't have kids when she taught us, but now she, she has... She had one. No, she had one. Uh, maybe she had just yeah, had it. Yeah. Uh, she has a, a boy, Daniel, and I can't remember the girl's name, but they were sitting on the bench of the park eating glida, eating ice cream. Mm. But anyway, she sends her, uh, Ayelet sends her regards. So how was your week? My week was great. You know what happened to me? I guided three Americans this week. And uh, I was very, very much thinking of you, Ellen, because we went to Ketef Chinom, which is a site that we talked about in a previous podcast. It's a place, for those who forgot who uh, didn't listen, it's a place where they found uh, tombs from the first temple period. And my clients, they decided to lie down in the tombs and to make pictures of themselves. It was a great walk through the German colony uh, to the windmill of Montefiore. We went into the Scottish church. It was a really, really nice uh, walk that I did. So it made my week, really. Sounds uh, sounds very rewarding. It's always nice to have uh, a good group. Oh, they were amazing. Really nice people. Yes. So thank you for asking me how my week was. Ah, how was your week? Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I'm having wine. Uh, it's uh, end of the morning, but they served us wine. And I thought, you know, why not? So I'm having a white, sparkling, Riesling Muscat semi-dry uh, from the Jerusalem vineyards. Uh, the King's Cellar. Not bad. So, uh, sorry. So I was up into my wine uh, sphere. How was your week, Ellen? I had a great week. I'm actually kavelling. Uh, kavelling. You know what kavelling is? Kavelling is I'm 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 beaming with pride uh, because this week um, we attended the graduation of my daughter Charlotte um, with a master's um, in human resources from IDC. Actually, it was called IDC. Now they've They've changed their name to Reichman University, but we sat through the uh, through the graduation, and I, I, I had tears coming out of my my eyes. Not only because it's a it's an a, it's an incredible achievement for Charlotte, uh, but here she is in Israel working and has a master's degree because Charlotte was the one of my four daughters that we brought over to Israel when she was going into her senior year in high school. So as you can imagine, she she wasn't too too thrilled or exciting about it. But the fact that she has has not only survived it, she is is thriving and loving her life. She lives in Tel Aviv, and uh, so I'm just very proud of Charlotte. I'm I'm proud of all my daughters, but but right now it's Charlotte's moment, and so uh, Mazel Tov, Charlotte. Mazel Tov, Charlotte. And you know, I am going to talk next week about the graduation of my daughter, so we can uh, compare the graduations. It's it's great when you see your children happy in Israel. It is really, it feels uh, very good. It's uh, really an achievement.
So the topic uh, of episode 9 is the natural resources in Israel. So Israel, I think, but I we might not agree, Israel has a lot of natural resources. We don't have diamonds, you, you, we don't you, have oil. I, I want to make sure that you understand we, we do not agree. We never agree anyway, even though if, until now you didn't really... Uh, you didn't hear it that much in this, this podcast, but in general, uh, Ellen and I do not agree on many things. So let's see about this topic, the natural resources in Israel. No diamonds, no oil, but what do we have? Now, the big, big, big discovery of recent years was gas uh, offshore, so in the bottom of the middle Mediterranean Sea. We have a lot of sun. We have water, of course, we have wind, we have even minerals like potash, bromine, magnesium, salt. What do you think of the salt in the Dead Sea? And uh, we even have a little bit, little bit of copper in uh, the Arafa Valley and gypsum in the Negev. So that's a lot of natural resources that we have in Israel. And I think we can be very proud of it. Now, I not completely sure we make a lot of money out of it. So I guess uh, Israel makes it money elsewhere. What do you think? So it's funny because when people visit Israel, the first thing I ask them is what's the number one export of Israel? And they think and they hem and they haw and they wonder and they, 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 they say this and they say that, but they, they don't say what is our number one export, which is our intelligence. So what we are exporting the most of these days is intelligence. You know, we're referred to as the startup nation, and that's because of the think tanks that are creating things that no one ever thought of, uh, like cybersecurity. We're, we're, we're the leader of cybersecurity. So intelligence. But why intelligence? Why has this become so uh, significant to Israel's economy? Because if you think back even as far as the Bible, uh, God gave this land to the Jews through Abraham, the father of monotheism. Uh, God will say, look, look north, look south, look east, look west. This land I will give to you and your descendants. A land that is beautiful, filled with milk and honey, but also filled with nothing. God gave us Bupkis gave us nothing. If you think about it, uh, you like to talk about the wind and the natural gas, but the natural gas is something new that we found off the coast, and wind is something we captured and created. But when you think about the, the, the things that people pay a lot of money for, yes, we have a lot of sand and we have a lot of salt in the Dead Sea, but we don't have diamonds. Uh, we don't have oil. Uh, we don't have uh, precious gems. We don't have those things that people pay for. You know, we, we, we had a trade here. Uh, the Nabataeans will pass through frankincense. So that was very valuable, but it wasn't grown here. It was grown in, in Yemen and Oman. But we have zilch, zero, nada, klum, shumdavar, nothing well, as far yes, as I'm yes. concerned. Rien, rien de rien <laughs> in French. So yes, yes, yes. So we had, yeah, true, we uh, trade in the old days. So we had harbors. We had an access to the Mediterranean Sea. Ah, but that's not, a, that's not a natural source. That's not resource. a natural source. So no, but, but, but by God giving us nothing, I think was the greatest give, gift of all. Okay, mm -hmm. he, gave us, he gave us the necessity, the need to create. To think. To think. And that's what we do. We've, we've, we've created. We didn't have diamonds. So what do we do in the 50s? We create a diamond industry. Yes. So, and uh, trade. Yeah. We, yes. buy, we buy the diamonds from South Africa we bring them here, we cut them, we polish them, and we create a market for diamonds. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have water. 
we have today we have water because we've created uh we're, we're top at desalinization and, and recycling and recycling yeah and we invented something called drip irrigation mm-hmm. but the resource itself we didn't have the the, the water very true yes another thing so we export um knowledge intel in intelligence but also in general i would say in high tech uh, also, we export all kinds of ideas uh, and development in agriculture, uh, the, the drip technique. Eh? So it's uh, pipes of water that go through the land and that actually with little holes in it and the drops will go right next to the roots of the plants. So there is no evaporation of and no spilling of water. Uh, also, one thing that was in- invented in Israel is the cherry tomato. Yes, that's an incredible invention. I love to take the cherry tomatoes and put them in the refrigerator and pop them in my mouth uh, and get that cold, sweet burst of flavor from a cherry ah, tomato. And it that. never drips from your chin? A cherry, t- cherry tomato. That's the beauty of a cherry yeah, tomato. It pops whole. into your mouth. True. Very true. Yeah, so the cherry tomato. Uh, we also have um, uh, special bees that were developed that uh, go from plant to plant and that will... Um, eat the, the, the little animals that are bad for the plants, but the bees themselves, they don't harm the plants. I mean, it's, it's really quite amazing, all the things that we, uh, like Ellen said, we had to uh, come up with ideas because the country is in the same time very rich with natural resources, but in the same time, not at all rich enough in order to, uh, to live from it. Well, you actually mentioned two, two things that, that uh, you mentioned the salt, okay, the salt that is in a, a tremendous commodity, but we've started extracting uh, potash. You know, we have a potash factory. Potash is used for fertilizer and medicines and and explosives and is in very high demand. So that became a huge export. The other thing you mentioned, uh, which people would not think of, that's become a big, big money maker here, is the sand. The sand that's been coming up and creating our coast from the Nile River for lots and lots of years that sand uh, started to be used by a kibbutz in in uh, in Caesarea, and they make it. They make there a stone called Caesar stone. It's kind of like a uh, marble granite type. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's an imitation. Uh, our counter actually here, and the counter we had in in Memphis, uh, in our home in Memphis, was made from the Caesar stone. So. Again, we're still trying to create. Ah, so they they you ex they exported the Caesar Stone to the United States. Uh, yes, uh, oh. Caesar Stone is actually a, a, a multi-million dollar corporation that now exports their product called oh. Caesar Stone. Good it's, for them uh, all over the world. Okay, good for them. No, actually, um, I'm very uh, happy that you uh, you tell me. I thought about sand, but I didn't say sand. I said sun. In fact, I'm going oh, to be modest. Sun, sun. Sun. We have, ah, but so you are correct. We have a <laughs> lot of that, a lot of sun. Yes, we have a lot of sun. We have a lot of uh, sun farms. So those are where used to be uh, farmland. Now you have um, 
what you call them, the sun. Uh, As uh, Shmuel will tell me, photo photovoltaic. Voltaic. <laughs> I think I had to say it a hundred times before I could remember it, and he right. corrected me over and over and over again. It's photovoltaic, Alan. Exactly. So you have uh, fields of those, and there is an amazing installation also in the Negev that is like a giant boiler. That's, it, it looks like a, as if it came from outer space. So I was actually talking about sun. So in the end, is Israel a country rich with natural resources, yes or no? I would say yes. Uh, yeah, you know, actually, the thing that we've discovered lately, you mentioned, was the natural gas, okay? Mm-hmm. It, it, we actually imported all of our energy supplies. Now we use the sun and we use uh, wind, as you mentioned, but our primary import for energy is coal, which we don't have here either. Uh, but now we have found these huge deposits off the Mediterranean coast of natural gas. And it appears um, that we're going to become a major, major player. Uh, we used to import our natural gas from Egypt. And now it looks like we're going to be exporting natural gas to Egypt and the Arab world and countries beyond. By the way, that, that it kind of worries me. Okay, because now we're going to be we're going to be perhaps natural resource rich and maybe become a little spoiled. What do you think? Uh, I don't mind being spoiled. I like being spoiled. And uh, I just watched a, a series about Norway and how Norway became very, very, very wealthy after having been very poor for many, many hundreds of years because they found uh, gas. And uh, I was already fantasizing about what might happen to Israel and that everybody in Israel is going to be extremely rich and uh, everybody is going to have amazing chances to go to the best universities and all that. So I think it's, it might be very good for the country. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, we're talking a lot about it because of the war between Ukraine and Russia, uh, whereas it becomes very complicated to uh, import uh, gas from Russia. So uh, why not import uh, gas from, uh, from Egypt that comes from uh, Israel? I think it's a great opportunity. So I am sipping my white wine in the bar of the Brown Hotel. Alan is sipping his red wine. We're having a good time here. Thank you, Brown Hotel, for receiving us, for letting us record our podcast here. And if you come to Jerusalem, uh, book a room in the Brown Hotel. They are all amazing all over the country. Our off-the-beaten-track site this week is a place called Nabi Musa. Now, Nabi means prophet in Arabic. Uh, Navi, uh, Navi'im, uh, the prophets. We're actually in the hotel of the Villa Brown, which is on the street of the prophets, the street of Hanavi'im, the street of the prophets. So here we're talking about Nabi Musa. And it's actually a gem of a, of a, of a place that you pass by if you visit Israel or if you live in Israel, you pass by it all the time when you're driving from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea or to the, to Jordan or to the Jordan Valley, you will pass a sign that says Nabi Musa. In fact, I passed it probably 200 times in my life, never ever pulling off the road to see what in fact Nabi Musa was. Now, the first time I did that was uh, last year when we, we, we trekked off to off the beaten track places and found this incredible monastery. Actually, it's not a monastery because it's not a church, 
but let's say a complex, a religious complex for Muslims. It has a mosque, and it is uh, the traditional uh, place of the tomb of Moses. Right, and now I'm going to ask the the, the wrong question right, right away. So according to Muslim tradition, this is where was is the tomb of Moses. But when you read the Bible, it says that Moses never entered the country. He looked at the country from Mount Nabo, which is in the Jordan, in, sorry, in the country Jordan, so on the other side of the Dead Sea, and uh, looking at the country where the Israelites were going to go to, and then God tells him, no, you are not going to enter, eh? you, are, you are punished, you, uh, you will not enter this country. And then Moses died actually in uh, what is Jordan today. So what about that? Well, it's it's uh, it's quite complicated. I think the wine is starting to go to my head, but it's it's quite <laughs> mesubach. It's complicated uh, because the tradition of that that complex goes back to the Mamluk period, back to Baybars. I think in the 13th century is when the complex that we'll see today stands right there in the middle, literally in the middle of the desert of Midbar Yehuda, the Judean desert. And when they built it, they could have been building it building it as a shrine to the place of the burial of Moses, and not, in fact, as the shrine. But traditions, once they grab hold, you never know where they're going to end up. And in this case, uh, today, I think when you go there, I don't think, I know, when you go there, you actually see a tomb in the complex that is the tomb of Moses. And perhaps maybe the tradition is, is that Moses did not come into the land living okay maybe he came into the land or was brought here after after his death okay the jewish bible doesn't say that the jewish bible says he went up to mount nebo Uh, he wasn't allowed to go into the land of israel but god showed him the land of israel from the heights of mount nebo and then he dies and who buries him god himself god himself buries moses in an unidentified grave. So today, even in our tradition, although people will take you to Mount Nebo and say that this is the tomb or that's the tomb or that traditionally we don't know where in fact the tomb tomb of Moses is, but whether it's the tomb or not that's that's at Nabi Musa, it's a beautiful place to, to visit, sitting on the ridge of another beautiful place. Someday we'll have to talk about the uh, Nachal Og, the, ah yes, the, the riverbed of of Og, which is incredibly beautiful. It is, it is beautiful. So, what what do you see exactly when you go to Nebi Musa? It's uh, it's built like a Khan, they call it. It's like a square building, like a walled building, and inside you have many many rooms. So it would be like a hostel, you could say. And um, it became very important, more or less in the around the 1900s, early 1900s. There were Christians that would come here to celebrate Easter and many Jews that would come here to celebrate Pesach. And then the Muslims, they said, we would also like to have a pilgrimage festival. And they decided that they were going to go to Nebi Musa from uh, the Temple Mount. So from uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque, they would hike towards the east and hike towards Nebi Musa. And that is where it became a very important place for them. They actually, you know, they still do that to this day. The Israeli government uh, allows it, I think since 2007 or whatever, they, they allow the the pilgrimage, which starts at the, the, the date palm tree. Is it a date palm tree? No, olive tree. Mm-hmm. Or is it a date tree on, the, on, on the Har Habayit, uh, which they call... Um, Sharm al-Sharif, okay, 
that they they begin the pilgrimage from there and end up at Nabi Musa. Another thing that you see at Nabi Musa today is if you're standing on the roof and you look out to the east, you see a very monu- another monumental for, inside the the complex. You see the tomb of Moses. If you look to the east, you see another monumental tomb uh, that they claim to be the tomb of Aisha or Aisha which is the third wife of Muhammad. It's a very beautiful place. And one other thing that you can admire when you go there are camels. There are always a lot of camels hanging around. And if you go in the right season, you will see even mother camels with their babies. Very, very cute. The question of the week comes from Hollands, from Willem from Amsterdam. Now, uh, he came to Jerusalem two times and he went, of course, to the Western Wall, to the Kotel, to the Wailing Wall. There are several names for for it. And he uh, remembers that people put little uh, notes in the wall in between the stones. And, um, you know, people uh, put put on those little notes a question, something they want to say to God or a prayer or something that they ask uh, to God. And Willem was wondering what happens with those little papers. That's an incredible question, Wilhelm, because actually we get that question quite often from people that put their notes and want to make sure that their notes are preserved. Um, And the answer is quite interesting, actually. Um, Each year, I don't know if you knew this, Leontine, each year there are approximately one million notes that are put into the Western Wall. Some of them are not even put in there physically. You can actually send an email to the rabbi of the Western Wall, and he'll put the notes in the wall. But those notes are uh, cleaned from the wall twice a year. They're cleaned, you mean they're taken out? They actually take the notes out of the wall and clean clean them up, <clears throat> and they put them in what we call a geniza. You know, in Jewish law, uh, holy articles, uh, written articles with the name of God or prayers or Torah are, are, are prayer books that when they deteriorate and become old and useless, we don't throw them away um, by prohibition of the rabbis. Instead, we collect them in a, a collection area called a geniza until we have a, a sufficient amount and then we will bury them in the cemetery. So every... Every year, twice a year, the notes put in the the Western Wall are collected, and then they are buried. And they're buried on the Mount of Olives, in the Jewish cemetery of the Mount of Olives. But do not worry. Uh, No one is reading your notes or your prayers or your requests except for God. Exactly. Those little papers are the presence of God is in them, and this is the reason why we don't throw them away. I think it's a very, very beautiful habit, a very beautiful ritual, and um, it will continue uh, forever, I guess. Thank you for listening to Yala Israel. As always, you can find us on Spotify, Buzzsprout, or your favorite podcast app. You can send questions or contact us on Instagram at Yala Israel Podcast. Talk to you next week.